BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hello, friends, and welcome. Welcome to this latest edition of the Bill Press Pod. It is 8.30 a.m. Wednesday, July 19, here in our nation's capital. The morning after Donald Trump's big re-election rally down in Orlando, uh, we couldn't wait to join you right after the rally to take a look at the big news of the week, starting with uh, what we heard from Donald Trump in Orlando last night, what we can expect from Trump in the 2020 campaign, and all the way to, uh, really, are we about to go to war with Iran? Here, helping us wade through the big events of this week, three of the sharpest commentators on the national political scene. Niall Stanage joins us from The Hill, columnist and White House reporter. Hello, Niall. Hi, Bill. How are you? And Ginger Gibson, national political correspondent for Reuters. Hi, Ginger. Hi. With Leah Scaranam, who is an analyst and reporter for Inside Elections. Hello, Leah. Good morning. So he was at it last night. It sounded a lot like uh, 2016, um, you know, coming down the escalator and starting off with uh, Donald Trump blasting all Democrats as uh, the most radical elements of our society about to destroy the country. Our radical Democrat opponents are driven by hatred, prejudice, and rage. They want to destroy you, and they want to destroy our country as we know it. Not acceptable. It's not going to happen. There we go. So, uh, you know, it's a favorite uh, kind of... uh, trick of reporters, if you will, uh, to look for takeaways from these political speeches. Now, you came out yesterday with some takeaways even before the speech. Uh, What's your takeaway post-speech? Well, one is the typified by the excerpt you just played, which is his portrayal of Democrats as outside the mainstream, socialist, uh, otherwise um, disreputable and uh, subversive. The other point that struck me in the speech generally and it was in that excerpt was the idea that democrats were trying to destroy you it was definite uh, airing of the grievances going on in the speech and it was very much geared i think at suggesting to the audience both uh, the audience that was present and the audience watching on tv that democrats and presumably the media uh, look down their noses at them, demean them, uh, are, are in some elemental way opposed to the people. And I think that was one of the takeaways of how Trump's going to go about trying to get re-elected. Uh, on that point, Ginger, there's almost, dare I say, um, I didn't see a lot of African Americans in the crowd. <laughs> it was almost like they're out to destroy you, meaning you white people. I think that uh, there's definite racial politics and undertones in what he's talking about. You're right. He's not talking to a particularly diverse 
crowd. Uh, I think the only crowd I've ever seen that's whiter is a Jimmy Buffett concert. Um, so, uh, you know, it is it is a group of people that he's that he's trying to appeal to. And I look, I think that it, that clip really embodies um, in a soundbite the Donald Trump 2020 reelection plan, which is uh, convince enough people that his opponent, whoever it is, is more terrible or as terrible as him. Um, you're not really going to make the case uh, that Donald Trump is a nice guy. He's not going to try to make the case that Donald Trump is a nice guy. He's going to try to make the case that everybody else is terrible, if not worse, trying to get you specifically and ruin your life. Um, and I really think that's that's what we, we hear him starting off this campaign cycle with. Um, and, and we're going to hear a whole lot for the next year and a half. Leah, it is an us versus them message yeah it is but what i was a little bit surprised by is i mean looking at the kind of 2020 campaigns that have already started you can see in the 2019 special elections in north carolina and pennsylvania and even in some of these 2019 gubernatorial races you can start to see previews of what kinds of messages are being tested for 2020 um, most of those revolve around socialism and most of them kind of replace Nancy Pelosi as the, the boogeyman of the Democratic Party with Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez or Ilhan Omar, any of these new Democratic freshmen. Um, I was kind of waiting throughout the speech for him to kind of make that his main point. But instead, I mean, the first at least 40 minutes of the speech seemed to be his greatest hits. Um, the same issues that he talked about in 2018 and 2016, at one point even mentioning the immigrant caravan that he used to rally uh, voters at the end of the 2018 midterm cycle, which I haven't really heard him talk about since uh, he's decided that he won the Senate. Um, so I was I was taken aback by that, but um, I think toward the end, possibly after I, I fell asleep on the kind of greatest hits, um, he got a little bit more into the economy and some of the other bigger messages that... Uh, I think the audience kind of fell asleep during the greatest hits as well. But Niall, one thing we didn't hear... Um, I, saw, I saw clips ahead of time with some people saying they were coming because they wanted to hear his plans mm. for the second term. Yeah, there wasn't really anything of that nature. In fact, I, I mean... Nothing. No, nothing. And, and to sort of link that to Leah's point, I mean, the, the reprise of his 2016 election victory, the attacks on Hillary Clinton, who I think is um, unlikely to be the Democratic nominee in 2020, were kind of bizarre. And so, I mean, he clearly wants to keep reliving that victory all the time but the idea that there is a, an agenda for a trump second term that that question doesn't seem to be answered at all now to be fair uh, he and his campaign team could say well there's what 17 months for that to come into focus but as a relaunch uh, or a a launch of a re-election campaign there wasn't really uh, not only was there no detail there weren't really even much by way of generalities in terms of what he wanted to accomplish in a second term. Ginger, what was the difference between last night's rally and any of the other rallies he's had in the last two years? Nothing. Um, I mean, really nothing. But, but if I can just interject, let's remember. He said he was announcing his re-election campaign last night. He filed his papers for re-election on Inauguration Day 2017. Correct. So he's been raising money to run for re-election uh, for two years now. I, look, I think that Donald Trump is a 
acutely aware and and all the the hubbaloo last week about his polling and the pollsters and his internal polls um he's looking at those numbers and he knows what they mean uh that he's got an enthusiasm problem uh i was out with his base with his voters so i don't know about the base but his voters um i was out in indiana a week before last i i stood in a walmart parking lot it's one of my favorite things to do and just ask (laughs) random people what they thought about the president um i got nine trump voters in an hour, one non-Trump voter, and of the nine, only two of them told me they were planning to vote for him again. Um, I mean, there's just this sense of fatigue, and they like what he's doing, and they don't have a problem with the tariffs, uh, but they're not really uh, chinned up. And I think he knows this, and he knows he's got to do something to get them excited. And and talking about policies and plans and what he's going to do, not the thing that gets these people excited. Um, And so that's why I think he's trying to push all the buttons he pushed in 2016 to, to enthuse people again. And speaking of oldies but goodies, um, Leah, we remember his uh, opponent in 2016. Uh, it's funny, I thought she lost that election with the Electoral College and had no plans to run again. You would not know it from last night. Uh, here at Donald Trump evoking her memory. If you want to know how the system is rigged, Just compare how they came after us for three years with everything they have versus the free pass they gave to Hillary and her aides after they set up an illegal server, destroyed evidence, deleted and acid-washed 33,000 emails, exposed classified information, and turned the State Department into a pay-for-play cash machine. Here it comes. Lock her up. I mean, to be fair, he's not the first politician to run against somebody who he's not actually running against. Democrats ran against George Bush long after George Bush was the opponent. Um, Just last year in the uh, gubernatorial race in Kansas, it was basically a race against uh, Governor Brownback, who was not on the ticket. Democrats won that race. Um, but uh, I think what you're going to see is in 2020, Democrats are searching for a cause that they're supposed to be for. They think they went too hard against Trump last cycle in 2016, um, whereas Republicans um, are still trying to figure out who they are running against. And I think that's going to be the core of whatever their message is. They have the economy at their back, and we know that Republicans want Trump to talk about the economy. We also know that Trump has been told to talk about the economy before and doesn't do it. So I think right now what they're testing is which Democrats are the new Hillary Clinton. And I think what we found last night was Hillary Clinton just doesn't carry as much weight anymore. I think people were bored. I think the crowd was bored. I think reporters were definitely bored hearing her again. Um, I'm just surprised that he went after her so much considering the rest of the party has transitioned into going mm-hmm. against the Democratic socialists who they are talking about in every attack ad and in every news hit um, that you see on cable TV. And he didn't mention them, really. At Ginger. what point, though, does arguing that someone committed a bunch of crimes and your Justice Department has failed to even file an indictment become more of a commentary on your own Justice Department. If it is so clear that someone did so many illegal things, shouldn't you have charged her already? Here we are, two years into a Trump administration, no charges. 
Obviously, we know that's for a reason. Uh, but when does that line start to look like it's you couldn't find a way to charge her for two years? It's on you, buddy, not not on her. See, that's the problem with your reporters. You focus on facts. Uh, I mean, how dare you? Uh, I thought it was interesting, Niall, when the president arrived in Orlando, if he picked up a copy of the Orlando Sentinel yesterday, the Orlando Sentinel came out with its endorsement for 2020, and all they did say, we're not sure whom we're going to endorse, but it will not be Donald Trump. This is the major paper in Orlando, but which usually, I think they did endorse Hillary the last time, but basically a Republican paper. Uh, after, quoting from their editorial, after two and a half years, we've seen enough. Enough of the chaos, the division, the schoolyard insults, the self-aggrandizement, the corruption, and especially the lies. Mm. I think that is interesting, and I think it goes to an interesting uh, point, which is that a certain... I mean, people voted for Donald Trump for many reasons, but one of them, I think, was a desire to um, vote with the middle finger, as the saying goes, to vote for somebody who was just a disruptor, who was perceived to be against the system, who was sort of someone, someone who people voted for to... To, to burn it all down. And that idea of voting for him purely because he is not something, that's more difficult, I think, to sustain after what will be four years of his uh, presidency. We know what he believes, we know what he does, we know how he acts, we know how he talks, we know what policies he prioritises, and those things have failed to help some of the people or some of the... the demographics that he promised to, to help. And I think that's going to pose a sizable challenge to him as he runs for re-election. Uh, certainly, Leah, uh, the media was on his mind last night, particularly as CNN. As always. <laughs> yep. And the crowd got into it. Yep. I mean, I don't think uh, endor a lot of papers endorsed Hillary Clinton last cycle in 2016 didn't seem to move those particular voters. I don't think the media's opinion about Trump, and I mean even a local paper, I, I don't think that's going to move those kinds of hardcore Trump voters. I think um, what still needs to be kind of sussed out is is who Donald Trump ends up facing in the uh, actual general election. That, I think, will help shape his message more than, more than anything else. And it was coincidence or not, Ginger, that yesterday, uh, heading to Orlando, the president announced that next week, ICE is going to start rounding up millions of uh, people who are here uh, illegally, came here illegally, uh, and deport them in some massive uh, operation. Uh, so he did, of course, we knew he would, speak about illegal immigration um, la last night at the rally. They would strip Americans of their constitutional rights while flooding the country with illegal immigrants in the hopes it will expand their political base and they'll get votes someplace down the future. That's what it's about. That's what it's about. This does get back to that racist element, which you can't deny, Ginger, doesn't it? I mean, he has, um, with a success I don't think any of us imagined, 
would uh, unfurl three years ago, turned immigrants into a boogeyman for his base. Uh, He does it with uh, profound uh, ability to talk about people um, as if they're not people um, and to talk about those who, um, a a group of people in a country that have like long prided ourselves uh, as being descended of immigrants uh, to not be that. I myself, a descendant of Mexican immigrants, you know, um, I think that uh, it is it is it is fascinating to try to step back and think about it in a political context, because we all sat here and said, there's just no way someone can say that and get elected president of the United States. Um, that was such the conventional wisdom. Um, he's going to have to back away from the escalator writing comments about Mexicans or rapists. Um, and and yet he didn't, and yet he won, and yet here we are now, two, four years later, uh, listening to him do it again even more. Um, part Part of me says, how can you sit in Florida and say that in Orlando, where the uh, Cuban population or a state in the northern part full of Mexican-Americans, Venezuelans, Haitians, uh, just such a diverse population and assail immigrants, people who come here to want better. Uh, But he does. And he did, and it worked. Um, and so I am left uh, um, um, unable to say how that doesn't hurt him or, or how it helps him at, at this point. Niall? Um, yes, I, I, I largely uh, agree with that. I think that the, to Ginger's point, I mean, the, the conventional wisdom in 2016 was the Republican Party needs to appeal to a more diverse America. That was you know, the famous post-mortem after Mitt Romney lost. Right. And and the idea or the thesis was Donald Trump's saying all these uh, very incendiary things, but he's going to lose perhaps heavily. That will, as it were, lance the boil and the Republican Party will have to uh, adapt itself to someone who is more um, accepting of a diverse America. And none of that happened. Uh, mm-hmm. That appeal to nationalism, to, to white identity politics really um worked and that's uh, i mean i think we're we're not go- just living with the legacy of that right now i i fear that the legacy of that will be felt for quite a long time and leah to to ginger's point the quinnipiac poll that came out yesterday the day of the rally showed joe biden leading donald trump in florida by 51 to 40 percent i mean i still think it's early to look at those polls and take too much away from them. Good point. Um, just because we haven't seen the way that certain arguments stick or don't stick. We know what kind of general opinions are. We don't know what actually moves voters. Um, what's interesting to me is that in 2018, after two years of President Donald Trump in a state that does have a significant uh, Hispanic population, just immigrant, non-white population, we saw Ron DeSantis win the governorship, who was basically branded himself as Trump's best friend. Um, what will be interesting is one of the theories going into 2020 in places like Florida and in Texas is that this is the first true test of how uh, non-white voters respond to uh, Donald Trump in office because you do see higher turnout among non-white voters in presidential years. So even though we saw Ron DeSantis win in 2018 in the governor's race there, even though we saw Ted Cruz win in Texas, um, what happens when uh, we have massive turnout, which I think most people are expecting? And massive turnout means more non-white voters. It means more young voters. And those tend to be more Democratic. 
There is, believe it or not, more uh, news than just Donald Trump's big rally last night, uh, including um, some growing tension with Iran, a major protest in Hong Kong, and uh, how about it, the first big Democratic debate next week among the uh, 20 candidates who made the cut for the first first debate. Uh, we'll get into all of that with uh, Niall Standage and Ginger Gibson and Leah Skaranam uh, coming up in just a minute. It is the Bill Press Pod on this Wednesday, uh, July 19. We're brought to you today by the Teamsters Union, the good men and women of the Teamsters Union under President Jim Hoffa. You know, we think of them as truck drivers, which they do a great job at, but they do a lot more of the Teamsters than just drive America's trucks. They are America's strongest union, representing 1.4 million members um, and include uh, airline workers, healthcare workers, brewery and soft drink workers, almost every occupation imaginable. We salute the good men and women of the Teamsters Union, thank them for the support of the program, direct you to their website to find out more at teamster.org. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. And here we are continuing uh, with our roundtable this week, Ginger Gibson, Leah Skaranam, and Niall Stanage. And we are looking next week at the first of the Democratic debates. Uh, the Democratic Party, um, they came up with the uh, rules for the debate. You had to get 1% and at least three polls and then 20,000 maximum or small donors, uh, at least 200 in 20 different states. 20 people made the cut. How did the cut work out, Leah? The first night, Elizabeth Warren is the only heavy hitter I know. on the stage. I feel what like happened here? If Elizabeth Warren doesn't come through that first night as at least in the top tier, I think, of Democrats, then she's missed a huge opportunity because she's been right beneath Bernie Sanders, right? Like it's been Joe in every poll you see, I'm getting really bored of these polls. It's Joe Biden, number one, Bernie Sanders, number two, and then tends to be Elizabeth Warren these days at number three. Um, If this isn't her opportunity to get to that top two, or at least to kind of meet up with Bernie Sanders, um, I don't know what she ends up doing. I don't know what other moment is going to to launch her into yeah. that top tier. Yeah, Ginger, people, I've, I've heard both sides, right? This is her great opportunity to show how smart and how strong she is. She's got a plan for everything, but she does. Or it's going to hurt her guess because she won't have people, you know, that she can really challenge or they can challenge her. How do you read it? Yeah, I think I'm of the school of thought that this is a great opportunity for her. She wasn't going to ever come out swinging. She wasn't going to take swipes at her opponents. You were going to always hear her say, I have a plan uh, for that over and over again. Uh, But there is a risk there. You know, I think 
um, her and Sanders occupy the same lane. And her best uh, hope to sort of siphon off some of his support is to be um, sort of a nicer, less shouty, um, less angry, uh, same policy version of Bernie Sanders. Um, And when you can't put them next to each other, it's hard for voters to make that distinction. Um, But look, I think that um, she was never going to take a hit directly at anyone. Um, maybe someone will try to now, and so we'll get to see what she does when she has to deflect. Um, but it, it will be good for her. She's got the most substantive campaign I've ever covered. This is my fourth presidential cycle. She's just so heavy on policy, um, and and this is her opportunity to show people that. So the second night, now you've got Joe Biden, Bernie Sanders, Pete Buttigieg, Kamala Harris. Yeah, quite a lot. there are six others on the state, by the way. Right. Right. I mean, I think it's certainly bad for the six others because one would assume that the lion's share of the attention will go to the four major candidates you mentioned. Um, I I would think that uh, Kamala Harris might be quite well positioned there because she's someone who has... um, not exactly faded from view, but the momentum she had in her very early days or the attention she had in her very early days has definitely dissipated a bit. And she, in my uh, experience of her, she is a good debater. She's obviously a former prosecutor. She knows the dynamics of those kind of uh, situations. She could uh, have have a big moment. But that sort of links up to a more general point I think is worth making, which is so many debates are all about the expectations of a particular candidate. I do uh, worry, or I would be worried if I were in Warren's camp. She's so clearly the major candidate in that uh, that first night. So if she doesn't wipe the floor with everyone, mm-hmm. does, it, does she end up getting some negative coverage for it? Um, similarly, some candidate who we just haven't mentioned could have... Uh, you know, a viral moment or a, a, a moment that becomes a, a key sound bite and get a bit of an infusion of energy, I think. Uh, Ginger, as Leah mentioned, these early polls uh, are basically meaningless and we're all getting tired of them. But in every one of them, Joe Biden is on top. Uh, he seems to be playing kind of a rose garden strategy. He's not campaigning as much as the others. He doesn't show up at all the other forums where they show up. Can he hold on for the next 18 months? I think so. I was with him last week. Um, I covered him as a local reporter in Delaware uh, before, and uh, I don't think he's lost his curveball um, from what I, you know, having having covered him for years before. Um, and I, I think that some of it's smart. I mean, this is a long road. Uh, you don't have to be at every uh, cattle call where you get two minutes to speak and then you move on. How many voters are you going to convert there? And I would go back to what you read earlier, which was that Orlando Sentinel um, op-ed. It cannot be understated how much of the Democratic electorate and the American electorate at large wants calm. I hear it every time I'm on the road. They want the tweets to stop. They want the chaos to stop. Um, And frankly, that's Joe Biden's whole argument. Um, Yes, there's a part of the electorate and the Democratic electorate that wants change, that wants AOC, that wants universal health care, that wants big sweeping policy overalls. But there's a bunch of them that are also like, look, I'll just take not having to worry when I turn the news on every morning. Um, And and I think that that, uh, those aren't the people who show up at rallies most of the 
time. Those aren't the people on Twitter, to be very sure, uh, but they're the people who like drop their kids off at school and then go vote. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's helping Joe Biden. Do you, ha- do you get that same read, Leah? I mean, I'm not on the road. So what, what I have seen is, as much as I think that we should take those polls with a grain of salt, I don't think that they're they're entirely meaningless. I think that it's clear that Joe Biden is the front runner. And if Joe Biden, if he's already hit his ceiling, that's fine. He can win the Democratic nomination with the 30 or 20-something mm-hmm. percent of the vote he has now as long as this pool remains. And as long as he need- gets his people out to vote. I mean, he doesn't even have to get all of them out to vote. I mean, he just needs some of them. Um, As long as there's a a pool of 15 candidates, he's fine. Um, I think the question is whether Bernie Sanders has hit his ceiling. He is widely known, as is Joe Biden, because Bernie Sanders has been on a national ballot. Um, And for every other candidate, you kind of have to expect that none of them have reached their potential ceiling. Um, so there's tons of room for other people to grow. Um, but I think whoever ends up, even if Elizabeth Warren does have a great night, I think Cory Booker could have a great night, their main opponent would be Joe Biden. And now, uh, Niall, uh, Ginger made a point that I've uh, been making for a long time, which is that there are primaries within primaries, mm-hmm. within this primary. Mm-hmm. And one of them certainly is the left lane. Mm-hmm. And there are only two people in that lane, really, Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders, that's the first primary she has to win. Yes, she has to get past Bernie Sanders. Can she? I think she can, actually. I mean, I have, uh, for quite a while, been more um, bullish about Elizabeth Warren's chances than, uh, than some of my colleagues at the Hill and some of other people. I think that she does have uh, a charisma. I think she's very good on the campaign trail. Ginger mentioned the substantiveness of her proposals. And I also think, you know, Bernie Sanders has been proudly the same person for about 30 years. And that's fine. There's there's something to be said for that. But his campaign this time around can't just be about trying to uh, recapture the magic of 2016 or argue that he was right in 2016. There has to be something compelling about Bernie Sanders Uh, right now, and uh, I'm not sure he's done that. And Ginger, that's what I see with Elizabeth Warren is I call her Bernie Plus. (laughs) In a I, sense. And and look, like he's already done it a bunch of times, where he's gotten in this. I think I I the resp- the the point Nigel made, Nigel made, which is that like, look, like he's like I I th- everyone should be thanking me for these positions. I was first. Um, okay, great, yeah. Um, uh, that doesn't win you votes, buddy, and like that doesn't distinguish you in this primary to show up and just saying over and over again, like I I was here first, like I it was me, like well everyone's copying me. Um, he's got to get beyond that, right? Um, I think also um, Bernie Sanders sort of caught fire in a world where it was him and Hillary Clinton and Martin O'Malley. Um, and, and we are not in a world where he's on stage with Hillary Clinton and Martin O'Malley. Um, so, you know, that's, uh, you got to adapt. And I, and, and I don't see him adapting at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, Elizabeth Warren also has uh, an interesting personal story and, and more important, she presents it as an interesting personal story. Um, So she's been strong on the stump. She's strong when she's giving speeches. She's able to connect that way. Um, I think she might need a lot more practice on the kind of Q&A part. I've seen her kind of on the defensive in a way that hasn't worked out well for her. She's good at selfies. But, and she has a really cute dog, which I don't know why everyone's not bringing out their dog. I I mean, that's what I would do if I were running for president. Um, But I think that she has... um, more potential to connect with voters, whereas if 
Bernie Sanders were going to do that, you'd kind of expect that he'd, he'd already have done that, considering right now he's sharing the spotlight with like 20 other Democrats. In 2016, he had a year with one other pretty much defined candidate who had been around mm-hmm. the political life for decades. Um, and he still, I don't think, was able to kind of personally cl- connect on that level. One more thing quickly, I, and I agree with what both Leah and, and Ginger have said, but I, while I think that Warren can get past Bernie Sanders, I don't think Sanders' vote will completely collapse because mm. there's just there's a certain proportion oh, yeah. of Democratic voters who just think he's the messiah, and so there are people who just aren't shiftable from his camp, and we'll have to see how that plays out. That base of his support, which is which has stayed with him, I must say, as a policy wonk myself, uh, all these years, I, I do find it refreshing. Uh, that there is a candidate whose <laughs> slogan is "I have a plan," and there are actually T-shirts with her picture. That says, I have a plan. I think that says something about the American electorate is not completely uh, lost. But God forbid that um, uh, three American reporters, are, uh, well, make it four, would ever shift our attention um, overseas. But there are two quick. To get your take on two quick points. I was blown away by the protest in Hong Kong this week, uh, a measure which would have allowed people to be evicted to mainland China and to face charges there, and the people of Hong Kong didn't like it, and they went to the streets in millions and millions, and the government basically folded. Um, What does that tell us? I mean, protests work? Why don't we see protests like that here? You know, I look back at the, I was at the Women's March, covering the Women's March after um, Donald Trump's election, and and there was sort of this misconception that people, those people went away and got less angry uh, because they weren't marching in the streets every day, Um, and we saw that that wasn't true in the midterms, and so I think Mm -hmm. it's important to look at Hong Kong and say, look, when people show up, they can have an effect, Uh, they can change policy, um, and they can appear uh, out of nowhere. Another reporter I know who's based in Singapore posted on Facebook that he had arrived uh, last night at Hong Kong and he said it was like the streets were empty. You could see the signs, uh, but it was like someone had hit a pause button on the city. I thought that was a really interesting observation. Uh, I think America should remember that, right? Just because we don't have people, uh, whether it's Black Lives Matter or it's the Women's March out in the street every day, they didn't go away. Um, and and someone could hit the unpause button on America and, and we could see those people take to the streets uh, in an instant it was pretty impressive i mean the number of women democratic women who are elected in 2018 and the fact that that occurred just the year after the women's march that's not a coincidence um i think it was a major organizing moment um and i think that you can see just based on the policies that democrats are discussing right now i mean today they're talking about reparations for slavery i mean that's those don't come out out of nowhere that's because of organizing that's because of protests and because of local and kind of grassroots momentum. So uh, even though we might not see the, the next day result, like you saw in, in Hong Kong, um, I think you do see results from these protests, and you definitely saw them in 2018 when there was just one new Republican woman in Congress. Uh, and Niall, if you listen to, um, just changing topics here, but if you listen to um, Secretary of State Pompeo or uh, National Security Advisor John Bolton, we could be at war with Iran before the weekend's out. Yes, it's a perilous situation, and it's also one... Is this something Donald Trump wants? I, no, I don't actually think it is. I mean, Trump, for all his verbal belligerence, is not someone who has been particularly in favour of uh, foreign entanglements, at least of a military nature. I mean, he likes to 
uh, talk a tough game, but he's not generally... Fire and fury. Fire and fury and all of that. You know, he's going to annihilate North Korea until the leader of North Korea becomes his new best friend and all of that. But I I don't think it is something that Trump wants, but it's clearly a very uh, febrile situation. I I do think the the claim of Iranian responsibility for the attack on those tankers has um, fallen victim to a quite understandable mistrust of uh, the Trump administration. I mean, if if you're willing to be... um, deceptive about very small things or very obvious things, then you're not generally believed when you're making claims about much more contentious and serious things, and I think that has been an issue in this topic. Are you suggesting the United States would ever go to war based on false premises? Well, I, I you know, I, lies. I personally don't favour going to war with Iran on the basis of a grainy video that purports to show Iranians removing a mine rather than putting one on. But there we go. Can, can I add something about? We this? do remember weapons of mass destruction. Yeah. But this really offers some insight into who Donald Trump is. I mean, we talk about him, uh, and we talk about how he sort of skipped the Vietnam War. He got this medical deferment to not go to Vietnam. Um, but I really think that we can see that it educated his his view of America's role in the world. He didn't think he should be at Vietnam, and he didn't think America should be at Vietnam, and he doesn't think America should be at war. Um, and for all of the things where his ideology doesn't fit into a box, or you maybe he doesn't even have any ideology, he is quite uh, against war. Um, and, and, and I think that that's probably what's driving, uh, keeping his more hawkish advisors at bay. Right. Not Venezuela, not North Korea, and probably not Iran. Um, my favorite part of our roundtable is asking each of you, uh, what's your, what caught your attention this week? What really uh, you know, made you stop and say, oh, that's an interesting story, a favorite story of the week? Do you have one, Leah? Oh, yeah. I have, I have several. I oh, have okay. with backup plans in case somebody else oh. took mine. <laughs> but I'll go first. Um, I hope I'm not stealing somebody else's. The study, a recent study found that dogs have... <laughs> Uh, that like puppy dog eyes thing that you you notice like when your dog like makes you feel guilty for leaving the house or not Mm -hmm. that's a real thing and they've like developed a muscle above their eye that wolves do not have (laughs) that they can intentionally possibly use um in order to manipulate their humans to make you feel guilty Mm -hmm. so it's real um cats do not have it so i'm just i have a cat and that makes sense to me. She doesn't have it, but my dogs growing up did. So, <laughs> it's a real thing. I saw that story. That that intrigued me as that intrigued me as well. Right, Niall. Um, so I'm normally more of a dog guy than a cat guy, but this is this is cat related. Oh my God. Um, the, the, <laughs> reg- the regional minister in uh, Pakistan who did a uh, Facebook live chat oh, yes. in order to brief voters in his area. And um, unbeknownst to him, and I'm quoting uh, HuffPost here, unbeknownst to him, a staff member added a cat filter on the camera, <laughs> which means that we now have regional minister Shaukat Yousafzai um, with uh, some charming whiskers and so forth when he's trying to present his policies. I think American politicians might take a leaf from that. He came out. When they were broadcasting it, they had a, a, a filter on him, making him look more feline than he actually does in real life. Uh, does he still have a job? 
I, I'm not sure. I'll have to. I'll have to check my my knowledge of Pakistani regional politics doesn't extend that far. But I think he does. Uh, the we, video was sadly taken down a while uh, after it. Went uh, are we still in the animal kingdom here, Ginger? Uh, no, and I, oh, I have uh, sad to say, mine is less fun. Oh no, oh, uh, that's all right. But, that's all but right. you should take your cat or your dog and cuddle up and put an hour aside to read the Atlantic's piece on the MH370 plane crash and what happened to the plane. Oh, it is a phenomenal piece. Um, if you haven't set the time aside to do it, they look at where the plane went um, and just how a government responded and why we don't know what we don't know, probably because somebody was trying to prevent us from finding out things they didn't even know. Um, and it is a fascinating read. It is it is a time investment, well worth it. And isn't the theory that the pilot really so wanted that's, to... That's right. The pilot who was clinically depressed, the, the, the sort of the prevailing theory, not to a spoiler, still read it, is that that he uh, got the co-pilot to leave the the cockpit mm -hmm. uh, when he was trying to get in the door. Uh, he depressurized the plane and took it up uh, another like thirty thousand or forty thousand feet, which uh, killed everyone on the plane. And then for Ooh. six hours until he ran out of fuel, he alone uh, flew a plane uh, full of dead bodies around. Um, so if that doesn't terrify you and want you to cuddle with your cat or dog, um, I don't oh, know what does, but it is a fascinating read. Yeah. Well, my I'm not in the animal kingdom either with my favorite story, but uh, I must admit I had a blast from the past this week watching all the video of the OJ white Bronco chase up the San Diego freeway. Uh, at the time, I was uh, doing television in Los Angeles, and I was also the chair of the Democratic State Party. Um, and I remember, I mean, we had we were running a very important re-election campaign, House races, Senate races, everything came to a standstill, and we had watched that entire slow um, move up the San Diego freeway with everybody following OJ and all the police cars and nobody dared. But cars would go up and look inside and wave and then pull back and everything. It was cra crazy. 95 million people watched that. What do we call it? Car chase? I don't know what it was, but anyhow, I just remembered that moment. And not to get too deep into media trivia, but some of it shot by the mother and father of uh, Katie Tour Katie of Tour, MSNBC. who now has an MSNBC uh, and whom we knew, Bob Terror, her father, in, in, in Los Angeles. Um, well, what a great look at the week here uh, with Niall and Leah and Ginger. Thanks so much for coming here. And uh, let me just close off with a parting shot, my reflection uh, on last night. And I always mention that my parting shot is mine alone and not necessarily the view of our three panelists today. But after watching Donald Trump rally his supporters last night in Orlando, I thought two things were clear. One, that from now through November 3rd, 2020, it's game on. Of course, Donald Trump's never stopped campaigning. He filed his re-election papers the day of his inauguration in January 2017, and he's held dozens and dozens of rallies since. But from henceforward, forget about governing, forget about infrastructure, healthcare, prescription drugs, or any other priorities. It's going to be full tilt campaigning. Two, it's going to be ugly. Donald Trump can't defend his non-existent record, so he's going to spend all his time, as he did last night, attacking, attacking instead, attacking the FBI, attacking Robert Mueller, attacking Democrats in Congress, attacking immigrants, and, of course, his favorite punching bags, attacking the media and, yes, Hillary Clinton. 
All in all, we've never seen an election like this one. For most presidential elections, the question is, what kind of country do we want, and then who do we trust to lead it? For this presidential election, more than any other, the question is first and foremost, what kind of a man do we want to lead our country? If we really love this country, if we're really proud of America, it doesn't matter if he's a Republican or a Democrat, do we want a president who's a serial philanderer, who pays hush money to porn stars, who relishes in personal insults, who welcomes the world's most notorious dictators as his friends, who calls racial majority nations shithole countries, and who's a proven pathological liar? That, I think, is the choice facing us on November 3rd, 2020. Yes, we say it every four years, but this time it's true. There's never been an election more important than this one, and voters have one vote to cast. It's all about him. The choice is Donald Trump, yes or no. And that's the Bill Press Pod here for today, Wednesday, July 19th. Thanks so much for listening. Don't forget, please, to subscribe to the podcast wherever you find, wherever you go for your favorite podcast. Sign up for the Bill Press Pod. Tell your friends all about it. Tune in again next time. And uh, while you're at it, if you like what you heard today, give us a five-star review. Thanks so much again. We'll see you next time. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. AutoTrader.